my name is Crispina French and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here I am today to show you how to do it too. Stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts? Not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing, a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or, if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow Clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over 100 years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com, where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. Hey, and welcome to the very next podcast episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast with me, Crispina French, your hostess with the mostess. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to one of my favorite people, honestly. Um, I'm not even kidding. Catherine Swanson and I met on TikTok because, you know, I was like, I, I actually like opened TikTok one day because... My kids are on TikTok all the time, and I'm like, what are they up to? And here I found Catherine Swanson, and I thought, this girl probably lives in like East Oshkosh, like, you know, Western Portland, Oregon or something. And lo and behold, we are located about an hour and a half apart, and we've kind of become fast friends, wouldn't you say, Catherine? I would say so. I I think so. I've been following you for much longer than that because you were famous in these parts as someone who is interested in textiles and upcycling and so I had friends who turned me onto your Instagram years ago and then I was like tickled that you found me oh that's awesome I had no idea that's so cool so Catherine has this really well there's so many things about Catherine that I just love but um, the thing that I want to share with you today as a listener out there in the world is Catherine's business is called Swanson's Fabrics, located in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. Cutest brick and mortar fabric store you will ever run across. But she also has a very um, 
clearly thought through and fun um, online presence in, um, you know, the, the social media, of course, but she also has a really um, cool store. So you, it doesn't matter where you're located. She can, um, you can shop her store. She does um, all kinds of marketing and fun ways to get involved that way with her business. So Catherine, could you talk a little bit about just to talk, first describe your store and how it works. And then we'll talk about how you got there. So Swanson's Fabrics is a thrift store of fabric, and we focus on donations that come from mostly just your average home sewer. My idea was that all of us who are interested in fiber arts or makers of 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 different kinds like knitters and sewers, we all have too much at home. And my thought was that the reason that we have too much is that there's nowhere good enough to take it. And so I thought that we would make the place that was good enough to take it. And so our model is that we are right now currently still a for-profit business. We've not had any reason to become a nonprofit yet, but we operate by on donations. People donate their stashes and leftovers to us at the store. And then we process things and measure them and tag them and identify them for what they are, do a lot of sorting. And then we sell everything at a blanket price. So online at swansonsfabrics.com, everything is $5 a yard. Um, and in the shop here in Turner's Falls, everything is $4 a yard, no matter what it's made of. Um, and the reason for being a little more expensive online is that it takes us more to process things to get them online. It actually is quite a lot of labor when you have... Um, sort of individual items that you're throwing up onto a web shop rather than just inventory of one of a lot of the same thing. Um, and it's been, uh, we got started in the pandemic. Um, I was a school teacher and I was supposed to get a job at the local middle school teaching sewing. But when the pandemic hit, that job disappeared. And I turned on a dime and decided to launch this project that I'd had in mind for years. Um, and no one could tell me it wasn't the so time. Wait. Can I interrupt you for one second? Mm -hmm. So you're a school teacher, you are teaching sewing. So obviously there's, you have an affinity for textiles and fabrics and stuff. So how did you actually first come up with the idea? So just to be clear, I want to just kind of spell out what I know about your store. So people who have fabric stashes, who are realizing either they're never going to get through all of this beautiful fabric that they have, or Sometimes I'm imagining it's like someone's mom or grandma has passed away and they, they're left with this giant stash of fabric. They can come to you. They can donate fabric, yardage, maybe some other sewing stuff, notions and needles and thread and even sewing machines I've seen that you sell in your store, right? We say so, yes to anything and everything that has to do with the fiber arts. We just say yes to it. And then we say it, it'll be our job to decide if it needs to be dispatched. But we throw very little away. But yeah, patterns, books equipment, anything that relates, we say yes to. So people can donate and then you kind of figure out how to turn that into product, right? Like you, you categorize fabrics and you bundle them and you make them so that people can look at them and go, you know what, that bundle of fabric is going to be the perfect color family for my next quilt or for my kid's playhouse or whatever it is that they're working on. Okay. Right. So this idea is so cool to me because for many years, because I upcycle textiles, people have been calling me up and saying, hey, grandma passed away and I've got, you know, a carload full of fabric. Do you want it? And my name, my, you know, I, I always say yes, even though usually I don't actually use that type of fabric. I don't use 
yardage per se. So now, um, you know, you and I have partnered a lot on me going like, hey, Catherine, I've got this, you know, sometimes (laughs) I send people right to you and sometimes I get the stuff and then bring it to you. So um, how did you come up with this idea? I just think it's so genius. Well, I have been in the world of textiles and fiber arts my whole life. I come from a family of fiber artists. I have a lot of aunts and cousins and really everyone's a maker. My mom is a costume designer. So I was doing my homework in the theater seats, watching rehearsals and picking up fabric off the ground and stitching things together and making do with whatever I could come across. So I grew up in this world where things are bountiful. I mean, uh, so many donations came to my mom because she was working in the fiber arts. And anyone who, if, if people smell it on you that you're someone who knows how to use this stuff, there tends to be a human instinct to get it to the right person, right? We don't want to give it to the Goodwill or the Salvation Army. We want to give it to someone who knows what it is, will honor what it is, and um, and use it the way it should be used and not throw it away. It's a really strong instinct that seems to run in all people. Um, the most fascinating of which I actually think is sewing machines because of all household appliances, even if people don't sew, they seem to understand that sewing machines are repairable household items that should be held onto and cared for. And they tend to stick around for that reason. Um, and thank goodness we still have a few sewing machine repairmen out there in the world. Anyway, so... I was raised in this world after I went to college at Hampshire College, where I studied media and um, the basically the social communication of advertising, what advertising tells us about ourselves culturally, um, um, and what it reflects back on us culturally and how powerful advertising is. And then um, I worked in the theater myself, where I I was in the props department and I learned upholstery. Then I was a teacher, an elementary school teacher for many years, um, where actually I picked up so many skills that were helpful in running a small business because running a small classroom is basically as many steps of organization and thinking and planning and trying to keep everyone considered as running a small business is. Everyone who is a teacher should just quit and run their own small business, in my opinion. But um, no, someone has to teach the children. Anyway, so um, basically, like I said, I just, um, I was in this world. Oh, you know, in the intermediate, I also, I worked on a yarn farm um, with Barb Perry in uh, Shelburne. And she had a subscription yarn business. It was called a farm share where people would subscribe to the farm and then get, you know, the yarn that had come in off the sheep that year. And I ran the mail order system. I also worked at Webs for a while in the shipping department, um, yarn.com. So I saw a lot of that. I went to knitting conventions with these jobs. So I was around textile artists all the time and I would hear them talking and everyone would talk about how much stuff they had at home and they would use this real like addiction language like oh I have so much oh I oh I should like oh I shouldn't have that extra cupcake or something would be like oh I shouldn't buy that extra skein of yarn you know a real um like shameful admission that not all of this stuff would ever be used. Um, and really, I saw it really burdening a lot of people. At the same time, I also saw in the commerce of textiles and craft, really strange things happening economically. Like it costs $300 to buy enough yarn to make a sweater. 
yet where all the knitters are at home sitting on mountains of yarn that has never been used. That is some of it so fine. They couldn't even imagine ever using it. Right. And that it's really impossible to figure out how to sell your, your stuff because you can't possibly charge for the labor and you really only want to make stuff for the people you love anyway, because it feels really important when you do all these things were sort of swimming around and coming together for me. And basically I just have landed on the fact that in overall, uh, capitalism and money and fiber arts, it just doesn't make sense anywhere you look at all. And so I was like, also these mostly women who have collected all of this stuff and stored it away right now. I mean, getting started in the pandemic, everyone was assessing what they had. Our elders are all starting to downsize and move to smaller places and get rid of their stuff. They know it's expensive now to throw things away because there's just an abundance of stuff around. And well, God damn it. They were right. Like those fibers, those fabrics are nicer. The ones that are stored in the attics and basements all around here are nicer than any tech industrial textiles that will be mass produced ever again in the history of humankind. So every time one of our grandmothers was like, oh, but it's just so nice. It has to come home with me. And maybe it just sat on a shelf. They did such a good job taking that and protecting it. And what works out so well is that like, Oftentimes, if it's fabric for a pair of pants, someone bought a two and a half yard piece because that's how much you need for a pair of pants. So it comes to us, we identify, hey, this is two and a half yards of pants fabric and put it on the shelf and someone looking for a pants project can can grab just what they need. It works out a lot. And the beauty of this as a resale market is that every single item is new, like the fabric that's there is unused. What's left of it is unused. What's on the spool of thread, if it's still there, is unused thread. So if you can just sort of, and it takes a lot of labor, but if you can dust things off, fold things nicely, present them in a really nicely cared for way, what's happening now in my neighborhood is that all of us fiber artists in the neighborhood know that we have Swanson's And so we will always be able to get what we need when we need it for any project because it's all collectively there. So people are able to donate really freely and and free up space in their own houses. So it's like a relief. You also get to, if you come in and bring stuff to us, you get to shop on the house. And so you can, you can relieve your stash of a little bit of pressure and get the new stuff that you want. And there's more to it than just making things with all of these fabrics. We, we collect them and store them. And just the last thing I'll say is that it would be a nightmare for any of us to use our whole stash. Can you imagine yes. up in a house without any fabric in it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, there's just, there's so much about your business model and about your mindset that I just like, just flipping love. And it's so fresh, right? Like, absolutely. Like, so it's not, you're not just providing a, a, a service to have people offload stashes. You're actually, you know, that, that piece you spoke about, about like, Oh, I shouldn't have this, like one more skein of yarn or this beautiful fabric. I don't know if I'm ever going to, you know, there's something really beautiful about being able to kind of, uh, say it's okay. It's all right. You did that. You bought that piece of piece of fabric and maybe you're not going to use it, but someone is, and someone's going to just find that piece of treasure that you found whenever it was years ago and really appreciate that you, you know, it's like opening that barn door and finding the antique car inside, right? Like, it's like, Oh my goodness. Like this treat, this unexpected, like beauty. 
every dang day. It's yeah. like opening a barn door with a beautiful car inside. I mean, I can't tell yeah. you how fun it is to run this business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like what the business that I've run over the years as well. It's like a treasure hunt, right? And there's, we kind of get used to this, this sort of idea that like, this is work, right? Like, it's really not like that for most people out there. So, um, that, you know, and you're making it very accessible. So, you know, people who are, you know, not, they, maybe they don't have the wherewithal or the kind of ability to commit to a fiber art that is typically quite expensive, can kind of dabble around and find the place that they are comfortable, whether that's, you know, sewing clothing or making window treatments or, you know, braiding rugs or whatever it might be, they have the ability to try different things out with your of you know your product available to them where it's it's affordable and if you know i with my process and and having used mostly you know recycled clothing it's similar in that i tell people all the time hey if you make a mistake there's plenty more you know discarded clothing in the world that you can experiment with so it's not like where sometimes things get very precious and you're like oh you know i don't want to use this yarn because it costs you know 35 dollars a skein but when you're buying it for from Swanson's and it's really affordable, you're going to try using it. And if you end up pulling it out and using it again, well, that's cool. But it kind of gives permission, doesn't it? Like, yeah. And that's really important to me. I, um, what I love about the model is that because everything basically has been devalued because we've just made everything a flat price, then where the value is, is in the intrinsic ability of the fabric to perform the function that you need it to perform. And um, the exchange that happens. So, for example, like if you're making seat covers for your sailboat, a beaded sequin satin isn't going to do you any good. It's not better to have the more expensive fabric. You need the fabric that's going to do the job. What we give in return to the people who donate us is the promise that this fabric that they so carefully took care of, right? Like they identified that fabric as something special that needed to be held onto that they were going to protect. And now we take it and we say, we're going to make sure this gets used appropriately. It's so we are just saying like you, you've decided you've had enough time with it, but we're going to keep it in this system, in this channel where that fabric will have its day. You know, maybe the person who buys it from Swanson's loves it, puts it on their shelf for the next 20 years. I've already, we're two years in, I've been receiving donations back of some of my favorite fabrics that we started with at the beginning. And I knew that would probably happen, you know? So, um, it's a really lovely thing where the the value is in actually relating with the actual physical object in some kind of reality instead of the like arbitrary valuation of things. And um, it does, I think, lean lend things to um, be used more liberally. I had a person who came in and we have a policy in the shop where if, if someone's hemming and hawing over the fabric that's in front of them at the table, they've made a big pile and they're looking at it and trying to decide what to keep and what to leave. We politely try to ask them, we politely ask them, is this a space in your house issue or is this a budget issue? If it's a space in the house issue, we remind them, you know, bring fabric with you next time, but sure, go ahead. And we let them deliberate. If it's a budget issue, we say, what's your budget? 
and then we let them have what they need for their project on their budget. And I was having one of these exchanges with a young woman who was just attempting her second ever dress. So she had had good success with one dress and was going to make another. And she wanted to make it out of this really nice linen. And she needed three yards of it for the dress. And we had six yards of the linen. She didn't even have enough money for the three yards, but I made sure she took the whole bolt. And I just said, listen, this way, because she was really, she was getting really emotional about it. It was really really nice linen. And it was, I could tell it was starting to freak her out how nice it was. And I was like, take it and take all of it. That way you have enough that you can cut into it and make a mistake. And what you don't use, you can just bring back um, and give it back. And so you at least have this on hand so that you know, you can make that first cut into the fabric and it'll be there and it's there for you. And that's, I think, honoring that piece of linen, you know, and so when people give us And I also say like, and the thing about Swanson's is that when everything's the same price, you can have, you can buy a muslin fabric that is actually a nice fabric that if you got lucky and your muslin went great, you have two dresses now that are awesome. You just use one you like a little bit less first or something. But so, um, I think that's what we give people when they donate to us is that not that understanding that like these things are, we know what they are and that they're going to Yeah. And I think too, Catherine, like the thing that I just feel is such a, like the freshness of your mindset and your business model is this abundance where like there, you know, I remember um, talking to you in the past and having you like, we have so much fabric, like there is so much fabric in our culture. You know, we are, you know, we happen to both live in Massachusetts, but I would be willing to bet that like our entire, you know, North American continent, right? Like there's so much fabric so much notions and yarn and machinery and looms and whatever it is, right. That we could outfit our craft making desires for years to come. Right. Like decades, decades. Right. And then, you know, this other, so this abundance there, right. And that, that, that level of like, let me help you not feel guilty about having this beautiful material. And then the next piece of abundance that I just want to like call out is your freedom and willingness to share your business model with anybody who's interested. Like, oh my gosh, like how cool is that? So talk a little bit about what you do in that respect. So yeah, since I got started, a lot of people have said, wow, this just makes so much sense. It's such a good idea. I want to quit my job or I'm looking for a job or I just want to do this. How can I do it? You know? So I started having monthly business workshop meetings. And we have then evolved that into, I have a business group on a mighty networks. Like you have, uh, you have the Stitcherhood and I have what's called the fiber arcade, um, which is a main page that is free for anyone who's interested in secondhand fabric for any reason. Like if you want to donate it, if you want to buy it, if you want to see what other people are doing with it, if you want to start your own business, if you want to say what your business has available this week, you can post it on the fiber arcade. Then we have a $25 a month group that is called the business workshop. And we meet monthly and we have been inviting in guest speakers. We just had Indigo Hippo, which is a nonprofit um, group come and talk this month, which was really cool to hear about like how it's going for them as a nonprofit. And because I my whole thing has been like, well, I'm not be just because I haven't had to be so I can't tell you guys about that. Um, And next month, we're having Zach Foster, who is a quilter who uses 
a lot of found materials. And what's going to be exciting about having him at the workshop is that uh, he will be giving the group his perspective on what the consumer is looking for, right? So he's going to have a chance to talk to all of these people who are starting businesses, which some people have, some people um, have in the last year and a half since I started having the workshop, a couple of people have quit their jobs and are just really doing this full time. A lot of things are happening all over the country. Um, but so we'll have his audience and be able to ask him questions about what he's seeing. And so if we're doing things like we're going to start, we're all thinking about putting together kits, you know, like what kind of kits do people want to see out of this stuff that we're getting in all of that stuff, any kind of excess extra processing, like making a kit out of the materials that come in is value added. And, and so it's like things that we could be marketing or do people just want to buy big old bundles of fabric or, you know, and like what's hot right now, like is crochet staying hot for a while? So we'll be able to do things like that. But I've been telling my story, um, of how I got started and, I threw up my um, finances on the on the wall and just like showed everyone how the money has been going. I'm really open about the fact that like I still I'm sending out an email now to an, another accountant that I'm looking to, to maybe hire so I can finally file my taxes. But I've been trying to give an honest just um, story to, for people about how it's going for me and telling them what. Uh, what problems I've been solving here, but then I, it's not a situation like uh, I'm franchising or telling people that, I mean, I don't know what it looks like to do this business in California. So we're all there sort of together or Detroit or wherever, you know, we're all there sort of discussing like, Hey, this is what's working for me over here. Like, this is how rents are over here. Like culturally, it's a little bit weird to just be giving shit away all the time over here or like, you know, yeah. yeah. Right. Just to kind of like, it's like a brainstorming, like a think tank kind of situation. Am I, am I right? Yeah. And my hope is that as it develops, that we all are like, hey, yo, it seems like in Detroit, we get a whole lot of like purple and orange fabrics, which like in New England, we don't get any of. And like, can we have cross-cultural exchanges or like, you know, I mean, I just, I dream of the day where I can tour around the country and visit all these stores that want, but that like really reflect their township like it's because this it's the stash of the town you know um that it's really localized that way i think we can all just sort of say all right joanne's michaels that was enough thank you you've pumped us full of everything we need we're off yep. the sauce we've got it from here we're just going to be trading it around yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, um, you know, I remember, I think it was one of our first conversations when you told me that your your mission in life was to put Joanne's and Michael's out of business. And if you're not familiar, if you're not from the United States, Joanne's and Michael's are both like chain stores that sell kind of cheesy fabric, right? Like just, I mean, some of the, fa they sell whatever, they sell fabric. Um, I'm not going to judge. They're just um, box stores that are yeah. in Town and they're full. You can tell they were designed by like a group of men in a corporate business office who are trying to like exploit women. It's really they're really gross places. And Hobby Lobby is the third one. That's the 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 <laughs> the crown jewel because <laughs> also are like pretty politically gross. But yeah, that's the hat trick. I want those three to go out of business. Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. 
Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind, creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business. So um, one of the things, you know, you're talking about your business model and about how it works financially. And I feel like one of the pieces that I also really love about what you do is that you are also a pretty prolific maker. And I'm thinking about the rugs that you teach. And, you know, you not only you teach how to make these really cool rugs that I'm going to ask you to share about in a moment, but you sell materials that are perfect for that, which are generally maybe materials that you wouldn't necessarily want to wear next to your skin, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of closing the loop. So there's, there's this kind of other piece that is about environmentalism, right? So you're, you're helping women not feel guilty. You're offering affordable crafting supplies to people who might not have had those available to them prior. And you're also creating need for material that is kind of been thought of as lackluster or gross. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Am I right? So let's talk about those braided in rugs you do. Cause girl, that, first of all, I love the course. I took it and I highly recommend it for anybody listening um, who wants to make beautiful rugs. And yeah, let's share about how that works. Uh, yeah. The braided rugs are like the best thing. Um, and I just want to make, I just want to make one note when we're using the word woman that like when I say, I don't want to be gender essentialist and say women, I do believe because men do fiber arts too. I believe fiber arts are inherently feminine though. And I think it like when you're engaging with them, you're engaging with a feminine act. And so I will, I will state that claim for it, for a gender conversation about this stuff. But anyway, so the braided rugs, they're my favorite thing because man, they just hit every high note like something to me is good if it solves more than one problem and the braided in rugs solve about 25 problems and so they just like nail it so they are let me just say what they are is that it's braided rugs which you might recognize as like rugs that are made out of scrap fabrics that are braided together in a spiral But the technique that I teach is braided in rug making, which is a four strand braid that you're braiding into the rug itself as you go. So you're building the rug as you go. And it's not a two step process of braiding first and then stitching them together with the lashing stitch between the like little ladder rungs. So it's not it's not the the old days one. And um. What I love about it is that because you're pulling the fabric sort of through itself, the best fabric to use is a slippery polyester because it just, you know, it can glide through really nicely. Well, usually in the world of fabrics and fiber arts, the worst fabric to use for anything is a slippery polyester, right? It's usually like imitating silk. So you wish it was silk. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, it's just, you know, it, polyesters are fabrics that generally people don't want to wear up next to their skin for good reason. And something that has always actually quite bothered me about the fiber arts world is snobbery about fabrics because it feels to me, it feels so parallel to racism. And I always think like, no, every fabric has its purpose. Every fabric is good for something. And you're making an arbitrary decision about whether or not it's valuable. So um, what I love is that it takes these fabrics that are usually the undesirables and they are the very, very best. What is so cool about it is that the rugs that come out of it are gorgeous no matter what. I've never seen one that isn't beautiful. Um, but they also will last forever because like those braided rugs, those old braided rugs, which around here, they're still in houses around here. You know, Crispin, I'm sure your friends have asked you to repair them for them. Um, and they are made of wool because these hills, which are beautiful right now, by the way, I almost canceled this just so I could take a hike today. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. October in Western Massachusetts, it's like mm, the best. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. But those hills used to be full of sheep. The scrap fabric was wool. And so, but it's not the wool that's failing on those rugs. It's the cotton threads that lashed those braids together, right? So if you imagine now, it's not even the wool, 200 years old wool that is going wrong. Um, If that is now polyester, plastic, right? And it's braided into itself. You're not relying on those cotton threads. Um, I think they'll last forever as a gift piece to give, like to give, you know, all of us who make things love to give them away. Um, it's an incredible gift because you, you know, every single household needs rugs, no matter what. And you also know that when you give it to someone, it's going to be there in use 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of its life. Um, and then, it has an an opportunity to live for a very long time because a rug in a house has the opportunity for every single member of the household to become emotionally attached to it and to want to move it on to the next household. So these things really could last hundreds and hundreds of years, I think. Um, which is very cool. Uh, then just the mechanics of it, it's like an incredibly laid back craft. There is not like pattern following. It's just like a vibe and a method that you go on. It's like, I say it's the perfect ADHD craft. There's no such thing as an unfinished rug because even if you just were like, even if you were too, if it felt too much to like finish off your braid and sew the ends to the back, which is a short process, if that's too much for you, and it has been for me, you just tuck your tails underneath it, lay it flat on the floor and it's done, right? It's just like, oh, it's, it's big enough now, you know? Yep. yep. And then later, if you want to pick up your, you know, suppose you move it to another space, you can add right onto it. It's just exactly. such a cool process. And I a cool process. Yeah, I've been figuring out how to make designs and patterns. I'm teaching a workshop um, on how to do free braiding, I call it, which is where I make eyeballs and um, flower shapes and different things like that and sort of teaching people the little tricks that I've discovered. But I've been doing it for six years now, and there is still a long list of ideas for like, oh, wow, well, what if, you know, what if you did this? Or what if you dyed all your fabric ahead of time and did a slow gradient? What if you you know, cut your pieces and sew them together first and what, you know, all doing like an e-cat or something. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, there's just like so much to be explored in it. And for some reason, I haven't been able to find any literature at all. Um, yeah, uh, even Jacqueline or Larson's book, like the twining, the elemental fabric, there's like one technique he details. that's like adjacent to this thing, but I don't know why it's not more documented. Um, Yeah. It's really interesting because honestly, like I, you know, I, I make potholder rugs are sort of like my version of your braided in rugs. Like whole, the world could be saved between braided in rugs and potholder rugs. Like we got textile waste covered. Amen. And, you know, they, again, yes, you can use like the crappiest of the crappy fabric and you make, they turn into these gorgeous rugs. And the thing that is so cool about the the process is like, it's never like with potholder rugs, it's pretty like there's a li- there's certain limitations around what you can actually do. You do need a loom. There's like, you know, it's rectangular or square. Whereas with your process, you're, you're there's like this level of freedom and inventiveness that just, it lends itself to, and it's so exciting. So anybody who's listening to this needs to go to our show notes page and see the pictures of Catherine's eyeball rugs. Like, you guys, like I, I, I can't verbally do these rugs any justice. Like they're just, just they're beautiful and so like nothing you've ever seen. So, and if you're a crafter who's really trying to figure out what method might be a really great way to start a business, there's two of them right here in this one episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling. One being. Catherine's business model, which she's happy to share um, all the details of in her um, fiber arcade community, which is right online. And secondly, the braided in rugs. I know she, um, Catherine, you teach, there's two levels of your workshop now. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. There's, so I have a pre-recorded video that's beautiful. We did it in a studio and there's like gorgeous top down shots and everything. And it's the basics of how to get a rug started and established and going. And then I'm doing a um, more extended course that is the free braiding. So it's sort of like me sharing, you know, the strategies and things that I've developed and how people can either follow along on a patterned plan to make an eyeball or a flower or stacking circles, which are three sort of different difficulty levels. Um, Or if people really want to go for it, just how to design your own, um, which takes a lot of also like it's free braiding. It's relaxed. There's nothing very um, accurate about the designs that get made, but um, yeah, it's so far it's two levels. There's also potential for this to go 3d, um, and so that's coming and cause it has like the same basic, like physical math structure as knitting and crochet. So um, you mean like 3d, like baskets or like sculptural pieces using yeah. your technique? Yeah. Right How now cool. a concept piece that's a dress just to sort of <gasps> show that it can go 3d, but I've thought of projects like if you could make like, um, what are those called antimacassars or something for, but, or like armchair covers for your couch that you could like braid actually in place over your, that would be a really good scratching post for your cat. Oh yeah. Like a koozie or something. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, those are great. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. How cool. Well, I think that really the, 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 uh, the possibilities are endless, right? Like you have just dived into this like pool of, creativity of sharing the wealth of insp- inspiration and um 
you know, the, the shared inspiration. It's not all like, you know, that's another, like the vibe of like, uh, just sort of like open source creativity, open source business experience and not advice so much as experience. Right. So I really encourage anyone who's listening to take the time to go visit Catherine Swanson's fabrics.com. The no kill shelter for your fabric stash. I just love that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And um, go and visit our show notes page where we'll have imagery of what Catherine's talking about with her rugs, her cute shop. And, um, you know, I, I envision us doing uh, more episodes together, Catherine, because I know there's just so much to share about what you're doing in the world of textile upcycling. And I just so appreciate your friendship, your, your work in the world, your, uh, your vibe and your sense of adventure and mischief. Like, I think that it's just all a beautiful, um, symbiosis that, um, just is it's it's wonderful so thank you so much thank for sharing all that yeah can't wait to have you on my future podcast awesome is- i look forward to it it's gonna be called trash talk <gasps> oh talk trash to me that sounds awesome yeah, yeah. i love it Trash talk, and we um, our first episode. It's me and Aaron Talevich, who is a PhD textile anthropologist. <gasps> and our first episode, we're talking about the gift economy and gift exchange and the fiber arts. That sounds exciting. So, depending upon when you stumble across this particular episode of Rags to Riches, check it out. See if you can find Catherine's um, Catherine Swanson's podcast called Trash Talk. I think that sounds really cool. And um, Yeah. Thanks, Catherine. This has been really fun. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing what, what magic we can conjure up together next. Thanks, Christina. Let's hang out all the time. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Valhyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com. <laughs>